It should show up. Alright, here we go. What's going on, everybody? How's it going out there in podcast land? We are back with another episode of Questions Like This. We are continuing our series on the one and only James Bond franchise, and I believe we left off, uh, we had just gotten the Bond formula all set. We have the gadgets, we have the car, we have the iconic actor and the lines and the beautiful locales and everything, and for this next one, they literally decided to throw everything at the screen to make it all work. Including uh, very long underwater sequences. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of their uh, their crutch for uh, for Thunderball. A great film. It's one of my favorites. But when it <laughs> when it comes to the climax, uh, having a twenty to twenty five minute sequence uh, underwater with very little actual movement amongst the actors, kind yeah. of dis- kind of disturbing. Yeah, um, a little surreal, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, this podcast is not brought to you by Apple because, um, <laughs> if you upgrade to the latest, uh, Mac OS, it fucks up all of your settings. So we're using the Skype call recording feature um, yes. for, for this episode and, um, it's all right, but we'll see, we'll, we'll keep going. Um, well, uh, well, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. That, that's kind of weird for me that or once you upgrade, you lose all your uh, or most of your software. I guess that's a- Apple's way of saying, like, you know, our way is the only way kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've not they they like they haven't been interested in um, people who actually know how to use computers in like a decade or more. Um, but yeah, uh, they just, they just like, like to, uh, make things incompatible to, well, the official reasoning is that like, oh, like it's a superior system, but yeah. Anyway, uh, Thunderball, it's the fourth movie. Mm-hmm. And the long-running spy franchise, James Bond. Um, but it was actually supposed to be the first one, but it kind of tangled up in a million different disputes. That's but, right. Um, eventually, it was uh, settled out of court and, yeah, uh, ended up being brought to screen. <laughs> uh Twice. <laughs> Eventually, um, the guy. I mean, technically, it's based off an Ian Fleming novel, but that in turn was apparently based on an original uh, screenplay by this guy named uh, Jack Whittingham, who later sold it to a guy named uh, Kevin McClory, who claimed that he was the one that had the rights to 
the Thunderball. It's very, very highly convoluted. If, if I try to go into the details of it, we could be here for hours. So I just, I'll say that, um, yes, even though it's Ian Fleming's property, it's that it still belongs, the right still belongs to Kevin McClory. And that's why instead of saying, you know, produced by Harry Saltzman and Albert Broccoli, it just says produced by Kevin McClory up there. Yeah. Um, and if you're in um, about, if you're re really interested about this, um, there is an entire section on the writing and copyright of Thunderball. Yes. So, yeah. Um, and a legal dispute section on there, uh, on the Wikipedia page for the movie. Yes. Um, this is perfect yeah. for all those that want to go into, uh, into copyright law. Yeah. Um, it's a very, it's very interesting, I, I promise you. But anyway, <laughs> um, I guess it's a classic Bond plot. Um, Bond has to find uh, atomic bombs stolen by Spectre, uh, mm -hmm. who holds the, the world to ransom for a hundred million pounds in diamonds in exchange for not destroying a major city. A major city in either the UK or the, the US, which is later revealed to be Miami. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay, nothing against Miami. It's a beautiful city. I just thought they would have gone with the uh, original trope, like you know, oh, we'll either destroy New York, we'll destroy L.A., we'll destroy D.C. or Chicago. Yeah. Never would have picked Miami, but then again, this is a very uh, this is a very uh, island themed uh, Bond with a lot of underwater sequences. So looking back yeah. now, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because we're back. We're, we're back in the Caribbean, baby. Yes, we are. We are in the Bahamas. Yeah. Uh, in the Bahamas with uh, the card-playing and eyepatch-wearing Emilio Largo. Classic, uh, classic villain. Classic villain, yes. And this may be the, what's it, the fourth or, f yeah, the fourth Bond movie in a row where someone's voice is dubbed. Yes, because <laughs> they keep finding like foreign actors, uh, probably because they're cheaper than <laughs> English-speaking actors at the time. Uh, yes. Yeah. So they got the voice dubbed. Um, yeah, Emilio Largo, played by Adolfo Celli, um, voice dubbed by Robert Reedy. Um, Sounds like an English guy. Yes, of course. Uh, and uh, Domino Derville, the Bond girl, um, also dubbed, uh, which yeah. I guess that, that also... Um, it's also a trend. <laughs> it, it really is, which is... I feel like what they were going for at the time was uh, when, uh, when that German producer eventually found a Millie Vanilli, they were going for... The look they wanted the look of somebody who was you're supposed to be like a classic villain or a classic Bond girl. They found Adolfo Celli, they found the Claudine Auger, but then they discovered they had really really thick accents, and they said yeah. no, we can't. They said no, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Which for the life of me, I'll never understand. Granted, I don't know what uh, 
uh, Adolfo Celli and uh, Claudine Auger sound like in real life, but I don't know. For many years, I thought that's what... Uh, I know his voice was dubbed. I never knew that her voice was dubbed until many years later. Yeah. Well, um, Adolfo Celli... Uh, <laughs> he was born in... A- Curcurachi, uh, Sicily. So he probably sounds like fucking classic Siciliano. Siciliano, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Oh, Messina, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the fact that his village, it, it sounds just like Cucaracha, so. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, yeah. maybe there's a similarity there that we're not really, uh, that we don't really know about. Granted, yeah. uh, granted that none of us are actually Sicilian, so we don't know. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm tangentially Sicilian because I watch all of The Sopranos. <laughs> hey, I, I, I watch all the, I watch all we're, the we're all, <laughs> we're, we're all, we're <laughs> all, we're all Marons now. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. So does that mean that I watch all the Godfathers? I now hail from Corleone, Sicily. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's if you just quote enough Joey Pants, you know. First of all, she was a whore. Um, you're basically Siciliano. Okay, so you quote Joey Pants. I'll quote. Uh, I'll quote uh, Don Vito. No, someday, and that day may never come, and I call upon you to do a service to me. Until that day, accept this as a gift. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about. Um, it had about f- like Thunderball had about four production units, which is insane. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh 1965. And, uh, okay, so this movie is the longest Bond movie to date, 130 minutes, that's two hours ten, and a quarter of that time is underwater, a quarter of that time. (laughs) I mean, it's fascinating, and everything, that you could get a shot like that in 1965, you know, this was ten. This was ten years before uh, Jaws came out, and there did feature a few, quite a few scenes that had sharks in them. Yeah, um, it did win uh, Academy uh, Award for Best Visuals. Uh, ooh, and, very nice. Uh, production designer uh, nominated for a BAFTA, but didn't win. Mm. But yeah, I mean, like on a technical level, it's very impressive. It is, yes, but when it comes to the actual story, I mean, it starts off the way all bombs do. It starts off with, like, you know, a brief non-sequitur to tell you how awesome James Bond is. You know, he thwarts some uh, evil bad guy at a at a funeral? Yeah, I think it was at a funeral. Yeah, No, yeah, he, the, the bad guy is dressed as his own widow. That's right. Oh my god. <laughs> was like, I, I remember that vividly. I... <laughs> no, like, you, like, you open on the the scene and you just see the yeah. coffin that says JB on it. Your initial thought is, fuck, he's dead? Damn, this is going to be a short movie. 
but then it's like it cuts right to uh cuts right to Bond talking to uh uh some random woman he met. I don't think we actually know her name or anything. But then he you know reveals the the bad guy, thwarts his evil plan, uh kills him, and then escapes in the most badass way possible via jetpack. Yeah. Which, looking back on it now, it looks a little bit crude, but still, it's a fucking jetpack, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, jetpack made a return in the uh, From Russia with Love game for whatever reason. It did in the opening sequence. I remember. <laughs> it's like it's like now if you excuse me, uh, before I shave you, I have to get on this jetpack and defeat the bad guys who are also on jetpacks because what (laughs) (laughs) because what the fuck sure why not (laughs) why not it's James Bond you kind of suspend all disbelief yeah (laughs) oh man so yeah he escapes via jetpack lands in the car and then it cuts immediately into my personal favorite of the Bond themes, Thunderball by Tom Jones. Yes. Um, who I did not know he was Welsh. Oh, he's very proud of the fact that he's Welsh. Yeah. Yes, and who actually almost passed out while holding that uh, last note in the song. Well, I mean, it's you gotta go. You gotta go all out. You really do. <laughs> you really do. He's just like you know, like all right. Uh, I'm gonna. I, I can't sound like Tom Jones. <laughs> I, I tried. I tried. Couldn't do it. Big mistake on my part. But he's like, all right. Hit me with the song. And of course, you know, got the boom, I love that. That's got to be, like, the most bombastic opening to a Bond you'll ever see. Hell yes. And, of course, you know what we're in for, because the entire opening title card is pretty much an underwater sequence. Yeah. You got you to gotta use your uh, all your production units, man. You do. <laughs> you really do, and I give credit to uh, Maurice Binder. For creating that uh, that theme, little did I know at the time when I was first watching it that that was going to be the the main element of it. Yeah. So the actual movie, well, actual plot uh, starts with the Spectre meeting. Uh-huh. Um, number one, uh, not named yet, but yeah, talks to. Uh, Emilio Largo, who introduces the latest project, which I, I don't know, it makes it sound like I, I guess like it's like a corporate meeting, but yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hijack two atomic bombs and hold NATO for ransom. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's uh, if that sounds familiar, folks, then you've seen the first Austin Powers movie. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of elements taken from this film are in uh, the first Austin Powers movie. 
I think even the price tag was the same hundred. Well, I, I guess Austin Powers is a hundred million dollars, um, but uh, Thunderball hundred million in, uh, pounds in di- in diamonds. In diamonds? Oh, specifically yeah. in diamonds. Um, okay, yeah. I know diamonds are very uh, very luxurious, very ornate, very expensive, but still. Seems kind of highly convoluted to transport a hundred million, hundred million pounds worth of diamonds. Yeah. Then. Although diamonds will be making a comeback in future films, we know that for damn certain. Yeah. <laughs> um. So any, anyway, uh, Bond right now is convalescing at uh, the Shrublands san- Sanatorium. Uh, and it talks to his, uh, you know, does what he does and then notices that a fellow patient has a gang tattoo. That's right. Uh, the, uh, the infamous and very brief, uh, Count Lippy. Yeah. Who, uh, I guess make it even more sinister, uh, seen leaving a room, uh, <laughs> who said, uh, seen le- leaving, it, from a room where the man in it, it, his entire head is covered in bandages. Oh, yeah, that's right, because um, Lippy hires a, a guy named uh, uh, Angelo to uh, get plastic surgery to make himself look like, uh, I think it's like, a, like an Air, Air Force captain named, uh, what's his name? Uh, Francois Durval. Francois Durval, yeah, yeah. and... Oh yes, there's that infamous moment where uh, Derval is in the uh, is in the bed with uh, what's her name? Oh God, what's her name? Uh, oh, Fiona Volpe, the, the Spectre agent, right? The yeah. Spectre agent, and there's a knock at the door. He goes to answer it and is literally confronted by himself, who yeah, <laughs> who then shoots him. Uh, that's a great scene. There's also the scene where, um, <clears throat> Bond is, uh, he's, uh, I don't know how to delicately put this. He tries about a million different ways to force himself onto his, uh, his physician. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like, and she says, like, you know, like, you need to, like, you need to cool off, you need to calm down. So she straps, she straps him up to this thing, uh, that's supposed to, like, massage the, the bag. It's supposed to, like, work out all the kinks. Yeah. Or something. But, uh, as he's, uh, as the machine's going, I think it's Lippy that comes mm-hmm. in and cranks the machine all the way up to its, uh, uh, maximum yeah. level. And, you know, he passes out. His uh, physician arrives just in time, and basically he blackmails her, saying that, you know, he won't reveal what happened if she has sex with him. Yeah, that 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 is, like, I, I, I don't know if it's insane that they put it in a movie, but it's just, like, in retrospect, like, what the fuck? I, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's like, okay. Really? Really? You have a scene with the Bond rape, 
pretty much raping his uh, his position. Nice work. Nice work. Uh, nice work, Terrence Young. Um, so, yeah, that happens. Um, uh, Angelo disguised as uh, Derval. He, he eventually takes off for the... Uh, for the plane that's carrying the NATO uh, uh, warheads, but not before Bond gets some revenge on uh, Count Lippy. He um, he goes to the steam room and locks him inside the the steam machine and cranks it all the way up. Yeah, <laughs> it's essentially boiling him to death, mm-hmm. which is an interesting way to die. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so Angelo gets to the plane, he's invited up to take a closer look, and that's when he surreptitiously places the, the, uh, I think it's a poisonous uh, gas where the uh, oxygen is supposed to go. He kills the rest of the pilots, Uh, he has his own breathing apparatus, plane lands in the ocean, plane lands in the ocean, um, but he can't get out. He can't get out. He's stuck. And, like, eventually, operatives from Spectre come down. He thinks they're there to help him. Turns out they cut his uh, breathing mask loose, and he's basically left to die there. And they cover the plane in this giant net. They take the warheads, and they cover the plane in an area that is surrounded by sharks. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's, um, I guess that's pretty ingenious. Nobody will go, nobody will go down there. Nobody will ask any questions unless they want to be, uh, eaten. I mean, I guess if you want to, um, fit as many tropes as possible, why not have sharks? Sure. Although to be fair, this is the first time they use the uh, use sharks in Bond. Yeah. They'll be doing it quite more, quite more often yeah, than you yeah. think. Right. Um. So yeah, uh, the plane uh, crash lands basically um, next to Largo's boat, the Disco Volante. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Angelo's uh, Angelo's dead. But meanwhile, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bond uh, finds Darval's corpse at the sanatorium and um, has to go back to London, where um, someone helps him out. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, fed off an attack and un- and uncovers that it is the same agent that um, An- Angelo Derval uh, fucked, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, his last name is Oh yeah, right. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's Fiona, it's Fiona Volpe, and yeah. uh, you know she <laughs> he doesn't get a chance to thank her yet, but uh, eventually they. All the double O agents gather together at this conference in London, and that's when uh, Spectre demands a hundred uh, million pounds from NATO in exchange for returning the bombs 
They threaten to destroy a major city. And here's the kicker. If they comply with his demands, Big Ben has to ring seven times at six o'clock. I remember that very vividly from the movie. I thought that's a weird way to confirm you're paying up the ransom. Yeah. You're just going to confuse people who count time by how many bongs it is. Exactly. To all the the people who don't wear watches in London at that time, you're going to confuse the hell out of them. Well, they're just going to hear it and it's like, oh, it's 7 o'clock again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is it on a system right now? Is it 7 at 6, 8 at 7, 9 at (laughs) 8? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to think it's like the new normal right now, but uh yeah, I always found that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. In that so uh a uh, bond is uh, initially uh bond is initially assigned to a station up in uh Canada, but uh he pleads with them with them to send him down to Nassau because he recognizes um he recognizes uh, Derval's uh, sister, who's yes. who, coincidentally is down there at the moment. Think, he, him thinking with his uh, smaller head, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, he gets to NASA. He sees, you know, you have the initial beautiful tracking shot of everything the island has to offer, and literally encounters her the minute. He gets there while uh, while snorkeling. Yeah, um, which is either convenient to the plot or just an incredible coincidence on his part. I mean, I guess we met uh, Honey Rider. Uh, she literally walked out the ocean. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you also have Tatiana Romanova, who literally appeared in his bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, um, like, uh, how exactly, like, did did he know Francois Durval before? No, I highly doubt he did, so. Yeah, so it's like, how, how did he recognize his sister? It's, I don't know. No. <laughs> oh, and she goes by the lovely name of uh, Domino. Yeah. Dominique, but Dominique. Domino. But she goes by Domino, who is uh, Largo's uh, uh, mistress, I want to say, even though he's also her guardian, which is kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Ian Fleming must have been on some crazy fucking drugs when he wrote that. Nah, man, he was just—he was just watching the birds at the Golden Eye Estate, <laughs> and the birds told him to make Largo yeah. and Domino not only together but legally binding as well, yeah. kind of. No, not not legally binding, legally uh, related, something yeah. like that. I mean, I guess whom amongst us has not? Um, I don't know. What is it? What what would they call that? Their ward? Ward, wow. There's a phrase yeah, I haven't heard like, in forever. Yeah, like, whom amongst us has not tried to, I guess, turn one's ward into a mistress? 
Um, the only one I can think of right now is Woody Allen. And anyway, moving away from very, very creepy Woody Allen and going back to uh, kind of creepy uh, Emilio Largo. <laughs> he eventually loses to a Bond in a, in a Baccarat game. Yeah. Which um, yeah, casinos, I, folks, uh, essential to the Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. Yes, and for the life of me, I've seen all the Baccarat scenes in James Bond so many times, I still have no idea how to play it. Yeah. So if, if anyone out there knows how to play a Chemin de Fer, please uh, send an email to us because I'm very curious how. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, um, they they uh, Bond and Largo do this kind of thing um, where uh, they recognize each other, but then they play it off as like you 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 know like not not knowing um, each other's true nature. So it's a uh, it's got some. Got some uh, back and forth between the two, and some a little bit of a cat and mouse going on. Yeah, which is interesting. It's interesting because they recognize each other, you know, as like tense adversaries, but without revealing their own uh, true natures. It's like you know, hmm. Like I want to remain two steps ahead of this guy. I want to know what he what he's going to do next, so that I can make my next move. Yeah, something like that. So. It works out that way, and eventually Bond meets, uh, you know, the guy playing Felix Leiter this week, and uh, and the Q, who, (laughs) 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 yes, I know, Um, let's just say we're a long way off from uh, having uh, Jeffrey Wright portray Q uh, multiple times, Uh, so so yeah, he sees uh, Felix Leiter, he sees Q, um, Sorry, I meant Jeffrey Ray's Felix Leiter. Um, he gives them a in, underwater infrared ca- camera, a distress beacon, an underwater breathing apparatus, a flare gun, and a Geiger counter, which, yeah. of course. Um, and he goes underwater. He's able to take pictures of the underwater hatch, which holds, uh, uh, which holds the uh, atomic devices, uh, Largo's guys see him in the water. They literally throw grenades at him. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> of course, you know, that sound, you know, how that didn't knock out his hearing, I have no clue. Yeah, I'm surprised, like, that he didn't come out deaf out of the water, because if, I mean, like, if you've seen, like, videos of, dynamite fishing or like depth charge tests like it's twice as loud underwater oh yes and it sounds loud as hell too yeah mm-hmm. it sounds loud as hell it's like i'm not surprised it's like you know oh mr mr bond are you okay what are you okay what yeah <laughs> so <laughs> eventually he escapes because he's James Bond. He can't go out like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes. Uh, <laughs> he visit, uh, visits Largo at his uh, estate in uh, Palmira, 
uh, and then is uh, kidnapped by uh, a Fiona Volpe, and literally after having uh, sex with her, mm-hmm. uh, they, she takes him to the uh, the Junkanoo uh, celebration, where he evades her, but eventually she finds him, and. And they start dancing to, like, avoid suspicion, but in reality, you know, she has a guy set up to where he can kill Bond. And yeah. if you've seen uh, Spy Who Shagged Me, you definitely recognize <laughs> this scene. Bond literally sees, in the reflection of her eyes, no less, the guy standing maybe 50 feet away, <laughs> holding, like, that submachine gun, which I don't know how is possible. But, uh, so eventually he sees her, uh, he sees him, spins her around, and the guy inadvertently winds up (laughs) shooting her, and he's like, you know, and he pops her down, says like, you know, do you mind if my friend sits this one out? She's just dead. (laughs) Because of, of that's that's the line going on Yeah, this whole whole sequence is bizarre, and rightly parodied, uh, referenced in uh, Austin Powers because like when the camera like switches off to the you know Bond seeing the reflection in the woman's eyes it's just like yeah are you fucking shitting me yeah it's like and then of course it's portrayed brilliantly in Austin Powers the famous uh, why won't you die scene yeah (laughs) Um, <laughs> man. I need to watch those movies again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's great. Um, uh, I remember um, one and two very vividly. Three, three was good, but uh, one and two were some of the yeah, some of the funniest shit I saw when I was a kid. Absolutely, I think you remember three more be, uh, for two reasons: uh, Beyonce, Beyonce, and- yeah. And the constant jokes about Fred Savage's mole. Yeah. Um, was it number two that had the the uh, the missile that looks like a cock? Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that whole sequence where everyone says the euphemism for penis. Is, right. Uh, that was extremely my shit as then, a thirteen year old. And then in the third one, you had the uh, satellite that looks like boobs. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a private <laughs> private but it looks like a big wang pay attention pay attention <laughs> like, like I was distracted by that enormous flying woody woody yeah. uh, it looks like a wiener wieners are ready <laughs> wiener oh like like holy moly, that looks just like my husband's one-eyed monster. That's right. Step right up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's the retarded shit that you love as a child. Hey, that looks like an enormous Willie. Yeah, what's that? Well, it looks like a giant Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh my God! In the third one, where they have Ozzy Osbourne come in. Oh yeah. It's yeah. like, it looked like boobs. Boobs, I'll say. These filmmakers are fucking boobs. <laughs> like, what, what do you mean? Oh, they're using the last jokes they did in the last, 
that used the same jokes that used in the last Austin Powers movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I seriously need to watch those movies again. They're hilarious. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, Bond eventually tells Domino that Largo killed her brother and, uh, hands her off the Geiger counter. But, um, as she is, uh, searching for the nukes, um, she gets caught and, uh, tortured. Uh, yeah, it must also be noted by this point that, uh, uh Bond and, uh, Domino are an item now. Yeah. Um, after they literally have underwater sex, which apparently works, is that, is that a thing? Is that a thing people do? I mean, it's a, a, like if you fucked in a pool, I guess it's more or less the same. But um, I guess this kind of prefigures the 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 zero G sex that, that will happen later in the franchise. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for reminding me. Oh god, yeah, but that's not that's not for Roger Moore, folks. We'll be getting to him eventually. Yeah. So yeah, eventually, you know, he uncovers the plot to destroy Miami Beach. And this is where the giant underwater battle takes place. Yes. Um, really, you, you, you use your money's worth of the extra unit. Which, you know, to be fair, I mean, it's the most beautifully lit underwater sequence I've ever seen. You never yeah. know. They, they film that in a, in a soundstage somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like well, it's, it's one of those, like, Big fucking fish tanks. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's like a giant, almost looks like a giant Esther Williams set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead of performing uh, acrobatic feats, uh, they're shooting each other with harpoons. Yeah, it's like one of those like like nineteen and what is it? Forties, thirties, Busby Berkeley numbers. Yeah, even the music, even the music at times sounds like that. They're about to go into a big dance. Yeah. You're just waiting for them to just, like, grab each other's hands and, like, do the can-can. Do the can-can, dance to the Blue Danube waltz or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that'd be perfect underwater, though. Yeah. So, yes, after the giant and seemingly endless underwater... Uh, sequence, uh, Bond, uh, what, what is it? Oh, he gets on the uh, underwater uh, fin, and the Royal Navy and the Coast Guard, they pursue the Disco Volante, but uh, Largo jettisons the front of his, sh front of his uh, ship, which has revealed the front to be a hydrofoil. Yeah, um... This, this becomes like a fucking plot device in, I, I figure, a hundred different movies where the bigger ship has a, has a tinier ship on it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, this was the first time they ever used this plot device, so yeah, kudos to the Bond franchise uh, for originality. Yeah, for pioneering the, the supervillain hydrofoil. 
That's right. And Bond eventually climbs into the cockpit. Um, he fights off with two of uh, Largo's henchmen, but Largo gets the upper hand. He's about to shoot Bond. All of a sudden, you hear a gunshot. You don't know where it came from. All of a sudden, Largo falls down, and it re- reveals that it was Domino who shot him. Yeah. And, of course, for the convenience of the plot, Largo falls down on the ship's controls, making it go at breakneck speed. Uh, Bond and Domino eventually uh, hop off at just the right moment, right before the ship crashes into the rocks, uh, killing, <laughs> killing Largo. And basically they just wait there in the water until uh, the U.S. Coast Guard lowers this... Uh, what was it? Hang on. Oh, yeah. Lowers a, a skyhook, which uh, Bond and Domino eventually climb on, and then proceeds to just lift them out of the water at, like, maybe 50 miles an hour. It's like, how did you not fall off? Yeah. Um, man. Fucking. <laughs> yeah, like... <sighs> I don't know, man. <laughs> it's like you got you got a moment where you're propelled hundreds of feet in the air at close to sixty five miles an hour. How are you still hanging on? Yeah, it's the force of like being pulled up. Like I, like Bond's arm should be ripped off. Yeah. Yes, but you know James Bond. He's the uh, the. <laughs> He's the spy that never dies. Yeah. Literally. And of, <laughs> literally. And, of course, that's the way it ends. And, of course, it was a big success when it first came out. Made hundreds of millions of dollars. In fact, when, it, when adjusted for inflation, it's the highest grossing Bond film ever. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it made a hundred forty something million dollars in 1960 dollars so not bad it's insane yeah i'll say and considering the movie was made for nine million that's yeah yeah i don't think you ever hear the phrase nowadays an action movie on a shoestring budget yeah um (laughs) well maybe that maybe that's not entirely true not entirely sure. You got films like The Raid that were filmed for a lot less. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess now uh, making like a major motion picture has to cost like an insane amount of money because, to be honest, I don't really know why. It's just I guess they're just right like signing off these giant figures and writing them off as you know yeah by the magic of Hollywood accountants to uh, recoup their losses if the movie sucked <laughs> yeah they, uh, they, they they cook the books they have a backup plan just that's a re- real uh, special effects is the Hollywood <laughs> accounting yes it, it's weird I have a friend who works as a as an accountant he works for the payroll department for uh a studio. I've never heard of any uh, shady uh, backroom dealings or anything like that. 
Yeah. Uh, um, Thunderball would eventually be remade, because uh, why not, I guess. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. It... I guess as one of the most iconic Bond films, um, uh, like we said, it's been referenced in Austin Powers, uh, sequences I'm sure have been parodied elsewhere, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, in the eighties, it was remade oh, uh, again, featuring Sean Connery, but I guess we could talk about that later. Yeah. That I don't think that needs to be talked about now. I'm on such a, I'm on such a high right now for uh, talking about Thunderball. I don't. I don't want to talk about the the shitty remake until much, much later. Yeah. With, with that being said, let's follow it up with the one with the one uh, Sean Connery Bond film that completely sucked. Yes. Um, James Bond goes to Japan. Uh, although I think um, it, it does this weird thing where it's. Uh, no, I guess it is Japan. I don't know why it's, uh, I thought, like, they kind of disguised it. No, it's definitely Japan. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you could fake that in, like, in Pinewood. I don't think you could, I don't, <laughs> I don't think you could, uh, film in, uh, in Toronto and call it New York like they do nowadays. Yeah. No. Well, like, Vancouver is basically every major North American city in a film. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah, because it's a lot cheaper to film up there. Bond goes to Japan on this one. He does. Apparently, a NASA spacecraft is hijacked by parties unknown. Uh-huh. But, uh, it is suspected to be the work of the Soviets with Japanese involvement. So that basically justifies Bond going to... Uh, Going to Japan. <laughs> That's right. He goes to Japan after, in the opening sequence, he fakes his own death in Hong Kong for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Although, how do you fake your death? It looks like because he was in the in a bed with this woman. Uh, the bed eventually gets flipped up, and they fire multiple machine gun shots into like the wall. How are you still standing? Like, how are you faking your own death after like 150 machine got machine gun shots are fired directly into your back? Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Um, it's it's one of those pullout beds, I guess. They they get they have Kevlar uh, lining underneath. Apparently, yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, after that sequence, and when he's rescued by. Uh, MI6, you get to the uh, the opening, uh, get to the opening title song, which is honestly it's beautiful. I love uh, Nancy Sinatra's uh, recording of "You Only Live Twice." Mm-hmm. It's like it's smooth, it's melodic, it's almost kind of the opposite of what you you expect in a Bond song. Yeah. Kind of serene. Uh, Very serene, yes. Considering the fact that it's pretty much one of the highlights of the film. Yeah. Of which there are only a few. Yeah, I mean, if you contrast it with, like, um, 
Yeah, Thunderball, obviously, uh, and Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's kind of out of step, uh, but not like in a bad way. It's just like different. Exactly. You know, you substitute the uh, the giant horns and uh, trumpets and trombones, and you just replace that with the smooth uh, violin. Yeah. There's something very peaceful about it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, he goes, uh, after the title sequence, he goes to, uh, goes to Tokyo. He meets uh, a mysterious Japanese woman while watching uh, Sumo. By the way, another thing that the Austin Powers series blatantly uh, parodied as well, the sumo sequence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that... Oh, that whole scene. No. Oh, no, that whole sequence where they're literally tossing their uh, sumo outfits inside the hamper. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. Hey, I mean, uh, from Russia with love, you got the two gypsy girls, like, mud wrestling, basically. Pretty much. So we Uh, contract, we contract. So we got got something for the ladies. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) Yes, we do. 700 pound, like, Japanese men, like, sumo wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because that's what every great Bond film needs. Absolutely. I mean, if, uh, I feel like if Die Another Day had more sumo wrestling in it, it would have been considered one of the greats. Yes. (laughs) It would have made made no sense, obviously, but it still would have been considered great. Hey, hey, why not? (laughs) Why not? You know what? Whoever's writing the next uh, Bond film, whoever that is, uh, can you make sure there's a sumo sequence in there? No reason, just... No, just for the hell of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, eventually he's... Uh, the mysterious Japanese woman uh, introduces him to his contact over there, a man named uh, Deco Henderson, who tells him what he knows and then is promptly killed within the next three minutes. Yes. Which is... Uh, but, but, but don't feel bad for the guy who played... Uh, Henderson, he'll make another appearance in Bond very, very shortly. You might, mm-hmm. you might also know him as the uh, the narrator from a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yep. <laughs> yes, he's the guy that says, uh, "It's just a jump to the left," <laughs> and it's a step to the right. Put your hands on your hips. Bring your knees in tight. Do the perfect I love that song. Uh, by the way, he was on, uh, he was in one of my favorite um, Hammer Horror productions. Was it? Uh, was it Hammer? No, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was Hammer. Uh, the Devil Rides Out, uh, starring Christopher Lee. Of course, because a Hammer movie without Christopher Lee is just a regular film. 
Yeah. It had, it also had like the shittiest looking devil I've ever seen in my life. It's just, it's just a guy with a goat head mask sitting cross-legged and he's just moving his head slowly from the right, slowly to the left. That's it? Yeah. That's it? Just that. That's it. It doesn't like, it doesn't kill people, doesn't do anything. Like, he just sits cross-legged in the middle of a forest while, like, there's a satanic Sabbath going on. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, it, it's, a, it's a far cry from when uh, Tim Curry portrayed the devil in uh, Legend. Yes. <laughs> or literally any other, like, Satan in movies. Yes. The Satan, <laughs> the Satan in South Park sounds more realistic than this guy. Yeah. Um, Charles Gray also, like, I don't know what it is about, like, his face, but when he smiles, he just looks like oh. he smiles with his whole face. He does. And it looks a little bit creepy. Yeah. It's it's like those, like, Venice, like, uh, like, a carnival masks, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, well, I suppose that's uh, <laughs> suppose that's a bad thing to say. But yeah, if you like, literally look up his picture with him being Henderson uh, mm-hmm. from "You Only Live Twice," you can clearly see he smiles with his entire face. He does. He also looks like the way his eyes look at Bonnie looks like he's about to fall asleep. Yeah, his eyes are like, like you know, like when someone's eyes are kind of like. I, like I don't know how to describe this other than like it's moist. It's like you're looking at something, like you look at something know. and it, it's so. Imagine if you're glassy-eyed. That's how, yeah. that's how I would describe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if someone is perpetually glassy-eyed, that's how I would describe uh, Charles Gray. Great actor, great actor by the way, but um, he just looks like he's perpetually glassy-eyed. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he's ki- <laughs> he's killed. Uh, Bond uh, tracks down the uh, the assailants and has a giant wrestling match with him in a hotel room. Fun fact: that assailant is played by none other than uh, Peter Maivia, who is yes. the Rock's grandfather. Yes, the maternal grandfather of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. That's right. And part honest- of the Anoa'i uh, wrestling family. And bet you didn't know <laughs> that Rocky Maivia uh, has a James Bond connection. <laughs> yes. Actually, a lot of wrestlers have appeared in James Bond over Absolutely. the years. It's really cool. It started with uh, with Goldfinger. It started with uh, uh, Professor uh, Toru. Wait, no. It started with uh, Harold Sakata as... Uh, Odd job. It continued with the uh, Peter Maivia in uh, "You Only Live Twice." I think there was one in uh, uh, "The Spy Who Loved Me," and eventually we get a uh, Dave Batista Inspector. Yeah. Anyway, uh, back to the Bond movie with ninjas. Oh uh, my! We haven't yeah, even gotten to can, the can we? Yet. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll address this later. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, if you tried to like, okay, so like making a making a movie is a lot like uh, making 
uh, a bomb. You know, like you gotta there, there's there's elements that you can add, but you gotta you gotta make sure you know you don't pack too much, and there's only so much of the uh, plutonium that you can compress before the bomb you know just goes. And I feel like you only live twice is one of the most like trope tastic films in the Bond series, where it's just oh, yes. absolutely trying to compact as much things about Japan as possible. Uh huh. Well, at least they at least they don't use the stereotypically offensive Japanese music. The da 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 da. Yeah. Which is not even Japanese, by the way. I know. <laughs> it's, I think it's... I, I don't even know where it's from, but... Um, wait, let me just no, what what, what is that from? What's that from? All I know is that it's from that, that band who sang uh, Turning Japanese. Yeah. Which is about jacking off, by the way. Yeah, I, I knew that. Uh, <laughs> Only in the 80s could you have a, a song with that much subtlety. Yeah. Um, apparently, the Oriental Riff, as that uh, musical snippet is called, uh -huh. uh, dates back to 1847, which uh, apparently <laughs> comes from an Aladdin show, so it's a different kind of Oriental. I see. Yeah. Um, which, uh, of course, as we all know now, if you mean Oriental as Arabs, it's that fucking Snake Charmer music now. Right. Oh God! So, na, 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 where the ladies wear no pants, whatever. <laughs> where the hell did that come from? <laughs> you you never heard of the lyrics to the song? No, I haven't. And yeah, like, I think it's called like, "There's a place in France where the ladies wear no pants." Oh no, I have, I have. Oh my yeah. God! Oh my <laughs> God, that is so terrible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Although now I guess like it's evolved into like some like vaguely sinister ass sounding Arab music where I guess it's from Black Hawk Down where it's now it's just basically it's like they just hired like some Moroccan dude to like imitate like like Arab chanting. Right. Oh wow! <laughs> um, yeah. By the way, fun fact of you only live twice. Uh, written by Roald Dahl of all people. Yes, uh, the celebrated and very scary author of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and uh, the BFG and James and the Giant Peach, uh, and the witches, Matilda. Uh, Matilda. Um. Yeah, I, used to have, I used to have a, such a crush on Mara Wilson. Uh, oh, yeah. I remember her. Yeah. I remember uh, her. But, but yeah, <laughs> that, that scary bastard. He wrote a, he wrote the uh, the screenplay for this because yeah. why the hell not? Mm -hmm. He wrote it. I guess somehow he's in contact with Ian Fleming because he also wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He did. Oh, and which was produced by Albert R. Broccoli. Yeah. It's, um, I guess it's an unofficial uh, 
The Bond film. <laughs> a Bond film that has a Bond film that has singing and Dick Van Dyke. Yes. Um. And the the child catcher, oh which apparently God. used to scare my mother uh, as a child. She does realize the work is highly fictional. Yeah. Well. Um. We're all stupid kids once. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Dick Van Dyke, which, as we must remind you, was considered for the role of James Bond at some point. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. He would, oh, he would do, oh, that accent. That accent. The, uh, oh, the, thank you one and all for your support. Which, uh. Yeah. It's now regarded as absolutely hilarious, but I'm sure back then it was like highly offensive. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but it's like, hey, Dick Van Dyke is ninety, is in his nineties right now. He still knows how to cut a rug, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah, like when when he was in uh, Night at the Museum, I was like, damn, you you still uh, you still uh, gonna gonna do all your all your moves man you're gonna break a hip or something no he's indestructible yeah <laughs> he's literally indestructible yeah he's positively indestructible and no matter where you see him he always has a giant smile on his face yeah and not the creepy charles gray one it's a, no like it, it's, it's actually, a warm and genuine smile that, that's right that actually looks legitimate and when you look at him it's like you're in your 90s like you look so good man yeah it's like shit i want to look like dick van's like when i'm 90 yeah i don't know I and mean, god forbid when he dies like we uncover like he used to sacrifice children to moloch to like look that young or something. Oh, God, no. Please don't let, please don't let that happen. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, I guess we'll, we'll just go ahead and talk about the ninjas because, like, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently the main guy that uh, Bond is chasing at first is a guy named uh, Mr. Ozato. Which, if you remember Austin Powers very well, is parodied as Mr. Roboto, because, yeah. of course. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and Mr. Rosato, he... What's his big thing again? He's like a... He's like a chemical expert or something? Yeah, he's some kind of industrialist. Um, Osato Chemicals. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, he's uh, the classic uh, shady business guy with ties to a nefarious spy agency. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Bond originally meets him, like, disguised as a potential buyer. And then mm -hmm. um, he's, like, so, he's like telling his secretary, who's a specter agent, like, you must follow Mr. Bond and kill him. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And then this is where we see ninjas. Absolutely. Because <laughs> what's a movie in Japan without fucking ninjas? Ninjas. Uh, before uh, Canon decided to uh, milk that trope for uh, all it's worth, 
um, they believe they make their first appearance in a uh, Western film in this one. Yeah. Because, again, Japan, ninjas, because why the fuck not? Yeah. It's uh, the beginning of a long and fruitful uh, genre of uh, international super spy versus ninjas. Uh-huh. Which, um, I think that was also in the Archer pilot. That... That might have been the title for the Archer pilot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know, um, the, the secretary um, captures Bond and interrogates him, but of course uh, somehow manages to convince her to have sex with him. Uh, yes. And uh, escape. Um, yeah, sure, because, hey, you know what? She's got him there. She's getting hers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Man. I can't believe that's the phrase I just used. It's it's like the... The core of, like, James Bond film is just, like, the sexual pathology of a baby boomer. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're, you're like this macho man who fucks his way around the world. And, um, you get, you drink, like, a fucking vodka martini for breakfast and still smoke cigarettes, but, in reality, your bitch wife, like, forced you to quit, like, ten years ago. And oh, you gosh. hate your fucking grandkids. And, like, you haven't had an erection since 1989. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, this is, like, a- every baby boomer's fantasy when they see <laughs> James Bond on screen. <laughs> yeah, like, which is, uh, I guess that's why they're so mad that Bond will eventually be a black guy. Yes. It's like they, it's like they want to rock, walk around and uh, holding a cigarette, pretending they're Sean Connery, saying the name is Bond, James Bond. So anyway, uh, eventually, uh, oh yeah, this is also the uh, Bond film where they use uh, a shit ton of gadgets, including an. Auto gyro, uh, affectionately called a uh, little Nelly. Yeah. Um. God. It's when the budget went insane, didn't it? <laughs> yes, it did, and they, uh, they, it, think, it is a million more than the last one. So yeah. <laughs> true. Ten point three million dollars, but I think they spent it all on all the uh, all the gadgets. Yeah. Especially this one. This is this is just like a throwaway thing. When he's uh, trying to observe this uh, this volcano, yeah, uh, classic trope, by the way, <laughs> super villain lair in a volcano. Volcano, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he looks at the volcano, doesn't really see anything suspicious. Uncovers a bunch, uh, sees a bunch of helicopters attacking him. He uh, obviously kills all of them, and in the midst of all of this. A uh, mysterious person manages to capture a uh, 
a Soviet uh, ship, spaceship right now. Mm -hmm. And it turns out we finally get to see the mastermind behind it all. The one, the only Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Yes. And this movie played by Donald... Um, Pleasance. Pleasance. Um... And what else was he? Oh yeah, he was uh, he was a doctor at Halloween. Doctor Loomis. Mm -hmm. Doctor Loomis in Halloween. He was also in uh, the terrible uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie. Oh god, yeah. He was. <laughs> but this is where you see the inspiration for Doctor Evil. You see yeah. him with a bald head in a uh, solid gray Nehru suit. Uh, with a scar by his left eye, stroking a cat. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, this wasn't the first time they had the cat, right? Or was it? No, no, this wasn't the first time they had the cat. They, this is the first time they used the cat so prominently. Yeah. But um, the armchair cat becomes a classic supervillain trope as well. Right, if you want to appear uh, menacing at all, apparently, just imagine yourself uh, stroking a, uh, like, a cat. Yeah. Yeah, like, a, like what, like a all-white Persian, who's just like, yes. Yes, or, um, in Austin Powers' case, something that looks like a... Uh, something like, like Gollum. Yeah, like a <laughs> ra rabid chihuahua. <laughs> Man, I guess I also don't want to gloss over that uh, Bond also has to train ninjas in this movie and has oh, to fake marry a Japanese woman. <laughs> oh, oh, and yes, has to uh, go undercover in Yellowface. Absolutely. Oh, because what's a movie about Asian people without Yellowface? Right, of course. Well, at least he doesn't use... Uh a stereotypical Asian accent. It's like the last... It, well, I mean, this is Sean Connery, so it's, uh, it's, the Japanese really... man is from uh, Scotland Prefecture. <laughs> <laughs> yes, where, where he lived in Scotland, there happened to be a huge Japanese population. Oh my god. Can, can, can I do, like, a Japanese Sean Connery? Wait, let me... Oh. <laughs> Ooh, tough. Oh, my God. Is it possible? Watashi wa James Bond-san. Ore wa shikotsu desu ne. Hell yes. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Um, I mean, it's like that uh, that commercial for Starburst featuring the, uh, oh, God. the yeah. two Scots-Korean guys. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Oh my god. Oh man. <laughs> god damn. God damn it. So yes, um, yes, Bond has to, uh, marry a, uh, a Japanese girl who he's told beforehand, he asks her, like, is she pretty? And his contact says to him, she has the face like a pig. <laughs> and then he just goes, like, to hell with that. So yes, he goes undercover in Yellowface. It looks 
horrendous. I first time I saw it, I'm just like, oh come on, like are you serious? Oh, and by the way, the uh, the woman who's the woman he marries, whose name we uh, never find out until the end credits. Her name is uh, Kissy Suzuki. Yes, um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> which grand tradition of uh, silly Bond girl names. Which, if you say it out loud, I imagine some dude on a beach in uh, in Laguna kissing his jet ski. Yeah. <laughs> um. By the way, uh, the actress uh, Mie Hama uh, appeared in Playboy in a pictorial called 007's Oriental Eiffels and oh, uh, was geez. the first Asian woman to appear in Playboy. So, um, kudos? Kudos, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, and by the way, her voice was also dubbed as well. Yeah, by the same woman, uh, Nikki yes. Vanderzil. Nikki Vanderzil, who apparently does like every, uh, like every... If you, if you have a thick accent and you're a hot woman in a Bond movie, chances are you will be dubbed by Nikki. Uh-huh. Oh my god, she dubbed... Look at how many films she's done. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Bond films. She had to dub somebody's voice. Yeah, uh, all the way up to Moonraker. <laughs> yes. Um, wow. Wow, okay. So she's had quite the prolific career. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this real? Uh, Live and Let Die, partially dubbed Jane Seymour. Really? You, 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 had, you had to dub Jane Seymour? She's got a beautiful voice, Jane Seymour. Yeah, how do you dub Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? You, you don't. Well, to be fair, this was her very first film, so... Yeah, but she's British. <laughs> she's British, and... She has a very thick, you know, Shakespearean accent. Yeah. You know, she's performed for the theater. She's Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Yeah. But oh, this is this is pretty cool. Uh, Jane Seymour's mom uh, lived in the Dutch East Indies. Ah, very nice. Cool. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's, it's, they had to dub her. That was weird. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, Nikki Vanderzil was also the vo the vocal coach to Gert Frobe, uh, Mr. Uh, Auric Goldfinger himself. <laughs> 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 okay. Cool. I think to be fair, there is one moment of Goldfinger where you actually do hear his real voice, which now that I think about it is a very thick German voice. Yeah, <laughs> um, I understand why they why they did that for Goldfinger. Is just can't have the the whole movie him sounding like that. No, no, of course not. You can't have a a villain who you don't quite understand. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so yes, uh, eventually you know he marries. Uh, 
he marries, air quotes, uh, Kissy Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to, uh, they go to the, uh, the volcano. They go down inside the, uh, the crater and they see that there's no water on top. So they throw a rock on it. They, dis- they discover it's solid. You know, it's made of steel. So they wait till, they wait till the crater opens and they literally climb their way, climb their way in, which somehow, which it's kind of strange how, oh wait, no, 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 he climbs in, he, and he tells her to go get, uh, go get backup. Yeah. And eventually he's captured by Blofeld. We see Blofeld's face for the first time. Yes, and it's quite as menacing as you would think, although it looks like they literally drew circles under his uh, left eye. <laughs> yeah. It almost, almost looks like he has a monocle right there, like a non-existent monocle. Yeah. And, uh, oh yes, and he's uh, sentenced to, uh, to die and he's offered uh, one last uh, request. Um, he's offered one last request. He requests for a cigarette, and this cigarette is secretly a gadget that fires missiles. So he literally he takes a drag and he fires it. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, but somehow it works. Yeah, it's the most. I, yeah, it's a stupid gadget. Like, really. <laughs> I remember when they were discussing it, like back at Q's lab, it's like, you know, like, uh, his contact, Tiger Tanaka, yes, that's his contact's name, Tiger Tanaka, mm-hmm. says to him, you know, it can save your life, this cigarette. And he just responds, you sound like a commercial. Yes, because this was the age where, this is the madman age, where cigarettes were healthy for you. Yeah. I imagine if like there's a spy like I I don't even think a franchise like Johnny English would come up with missile shooting cigarettes nowadays. Um no. No they didn't. In fact the Johnny English franchise uh came up with uh Oh god, what did they come up with? Oh those two uh those two rings. One that's yes. supposed to be like a, a muscle relaxer the other one's supposed to be a truth serum, and he gets them mixed up. And <laughs> yes, um, yeah. Didn't the muscle relaxer make you shit yourself? It didn't make quite make you shit yourself because then it wouldn't have been a PG thirteen movie. But right. it like made you feel <laughs> made you feel pretty damn close. Yeah. It's like like it's like super strength muscle relaxant. When he wakes up, he'll be as damp as a flat old sock. <laughs> Which, oh my god. And then he hits him with the wrong thing. It's like, it's like, like, hey, wait. What you did to me really hurt. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, how do we get out of here without being seen? And the guard just comes looking up like, okay, come in. Left by the water fountain, right by the fire entrance, and down the front ramp. Thank you. He just... 
Oh man, Johnny English. Johnny English. There's another one that's gonna be coming yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't watch the second one, but um, neither maybe did I. I. Should, now that the third one is coming out. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm always glad to see Black Adder writing again. Yes. Oh, it's always fantastic to see him yeah. on screen in anything, really. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, it's so bizarre because like I first saw him as Mr. Bean, Me and so. then like I saw him in Blackadder, I was like, "Holy shit, this guy can talk!" Like, this guy has change. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I love the opening to the show so much. Not not Blackadder, but Mr. Bean. Literally, yeah. like. Like, the lights, the angelic light, and it literally has him, like, being thrown out, thrown down, down yeah. to earth. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. <laughs> but it, you're right. It, it It is great seeing him in, uh, in other things, or in, in things again. Yeah. Um... So you only live twice, um, all the way at the end, you know, once everything, like once everything comes out, Bond, um, it's got that classic, uh, self-destructing lair, uh, bit. Yes, because of course they have one of those things. Because you know what, it's already in a volcano, and, um, you know, there's a super villain with a cat, might as well, you know, the whole hog. Exactly, and, you know, he lets uh, Blofeld get away, of course, we'll see Blofeld again multiple times throughout the uh, the Bond franchise, and uh, he takes uh, Kissy and the other, uh, other surviving ninjas outside of the volcano as it erupts, leading to quite possibly one of the worst CGI, some of the worst CGI I've ever seen. Yeah, um, man. It's like they cropped an actual eruption over a set with the actors just, like, running down, like, a giant ramp. Yeah. It looks so fake. I don't know how people saw this as intimidating in 1966. And even, like, if you watch other, other films, like... They, like, they can kind of already figure out how to green screen shit. Yeah. So, I don't know, like, if it was just a shitty day or, uh, like, you know, it's crunch time and they really got to finish post. Movies coming out in two weeks, but yeah. Uh, actually, I think they were, were under a lot of pressure for this one. Because Connery was grumpy on the set all the time. He didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, and he was constantly saying, like, you know, this is my last one. I'm done yeah. after this. I mean, after five films of playing the same character, I'd get pretty tired of it as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is also a bit unprecedented because how many other long runner franchises existed back then? Um, and played the same guy for movie after movie after movie. And pretty much, like, that's all you are yeah. to everyone. 
right now. You're no longer, you're no longer just a regular guy. You're no longer like, you know, I'm Sean Connery. I grew up in Edinburgh, Scotland. No, like now you're James Bond. We don't care what other yeah. roles you take. You are James Bond to us now. To the point where I think he attended the premiere of one of the Bond films and it became so chaotic that fans actually rushed him and started like tearing apart his suit and he <laughs> vowed never go to another uh, premiere again. Yeah. Um, well, like, just think about it. Like, imagine that. Like you're a TV actor, right? You're playing the same character for the season. Mm-hmm. But imagine that this is a instead of a TV show with like 23 episodes or whatever, you just make like 90 minute plus movies like every other year. Uh-huh. It's just like it's exhausting. Oh yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I don't, I don't blame the guy either. Plus, he was getting up there in years. I think he was only 36 at the time, but right. still relatively young. But after he played the role five times, I feel like he got to hand it over to, to someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, eventually, uh, Bond, uh, Kissy Tanaka and everyone else uh, get rescued by the Japanese Navy, some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, that's uh, it. Uh, uh, MI6. So that's right. Oh, really? No, uh, no final send off between uh, Bond and Kissy. That's just they get rescued, and that's it. Dang, it's been a while. Yeah, I, I make it a point. Not to watch that film unless absolutely necessary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, you need to stay all the way to the end to, like, figure out what the woman's name is. Because I don't think they said Kissy Suzuki's name. They don't. That's the thing. <laughs> which is which is weird. It's weird. It's like, um... Okay. This is your wife, James. This is your wife. You don't even know her name. Hell, we don't even know her name. Yeah. You don't re- mm. and you don't reveal it until the end credits. It's like that was her name. I never would have guessed that. Yeah. Well, apparently in the novel, um, she has a son with James Bond. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Also, Bond suffers from amnesia uh, in in the novel version at the end. Oh, oh, lovely! The old uh, spy with the amnesia plot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyway, the son, uh, I guess, not uh, officially named until later, um, in a 1996 short story called James Suzuki. Um, James Suzuki. Yeah, who, uh, of course, Bond was an absent father, but, yeah. But no shit. I guess, he paid for, I guess he paid for his university education, but, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it for You Only Live Twice. Um, 
you watch the movie, I guess you can kind of understand why Sean Connery's grumpy all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, it is very enjoyable though if you come at it with a mindset that um, yeah, this is kind of silly with a lot of like funny little tropes. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, when you look back on it though, I mean. There are some good moments, obviously, but it's regarded as definitely the weakest of the Connery series. Yeah. yeah I don't think anyone's out there right, going to be stepping up to bat for this movie. And um, it's not, like, terrible, but it's it's just, like, you know. No. we, we at, at best, it's, like, okay. But, yeah. Yeah. Compared I mean, to... The previous movies, even Thunderball, which um, can be a bit of a, a bit of a slog with the underwater scenes, but like uh-huh. everything else was great. Absolutely, yeah. And I think they tried to learn from this, and not necessarily take the next Bond film in a different direction, but they tried to return it more to its roots, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. For Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll talk about that in Diamonds Are Forever on the next episode, because it'll be, Absolutely. it'll be nice to, to contrast, uh, George Lazenby and <laughs> <laughs> after they, they, like, managed to give, like, Sean Connery a fuck ton of money to come back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about the uh, the interim period next time, if you will, yeah. between uh, Sean Connery and uh, Roger Moore. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll talk about the return of Charles Gray as well. <laughs> oh, God, yes. In the most campy Bond film ever made. Yeah. So, <laughs> 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 I... I Legitimately, I enjoy uh, Charles Gray as an actor, but um, something about him is just, mm, you know. Off-putting, I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Wherever he is right now, Charles Gray, may he rest in peace. I'm sure he's giving that a full-face smile in heaven. He's looking down at us right now uh, with the full-face smile. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) he's just like, like, you know, he's he's criticizing our our, uh, critique, if you will. Of him. Of him, yes. Um, uh, yeah. or, or uh, uh, otherwise, he'll, he's teaching everyone the time warp. Yes, he probably is. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we haven't talked about Rocky Horror yet. I guess we could do that uh, around we, Halloween. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I also have to talk about Ernest Scared Stupid at some point, because that is year <laughs> after year. The most evergreen Halloween movie for me. 
What? Um, I know. I know. It, what it a ticks show. off all the boxes. There's Eartha Kit for whatever reason. <laughs> there's there's Jim Varney um, at his best. Yes. Uh, and um, the 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 best scene in that movie is like towards the end where like it's the Halloween dance and um, they're trying to figure out the troll's weakness and uh, oh uh, yeah obviously it's milk but um, <laughs> Ernest P Worrell shows up and holds up a jar of authentic Bulgarian Miak and he brandishes it at the troll and the troll is visibly confused <laughs> as is the rest of the audience <laughs> yeah <laughs> because he misread it in the, in the damn spell book it's like how do you misread the word milk Oh, man. Ah, oh, Jim Varney. Gone too soon. Gone R. too R. soon. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to add about um, Thunderball and You Only Live Twice? I feel like with the last two, they kind of established... They've already established themselves... By this point, they've brought in all the classic uh, tropes that the Bond franchise is known for. And I guess they were just throwing things at the wall to see whatever worked this time. And that strategy worked for Thunderball, but when they tried it again for uh, You Only Live Twice, it definitely backfired on them, even though it made yeah. a lot of the box office. Mm-hmm. And I guess when we talk about Honor Majesty's Secret. Um, when they tried to scale back with it, you can obviously kind of see that um, uh, happening. And, and then, I, of course, the uh, <laughs> the turnaround with Diamonds Are Forever, oh which, lord, uh, returns to the like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach. Exactly. I mean, say what you will about Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which we'll get to next time, but. At least it was, like, you know, somewhat gritty. It captured the feeling of, you know, Dr. No one from Russia with love, you know, beautiful women, exotic locales, uh, a seemingly coherent plot, but that's for another day. And uh, Right. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and I guess that's pretty much it. But for... The next episode, uh, let's just say that um, James Bond will will fuck his uh, second Avenger, I believe. Uh, yes, that's correct. <laughs> well, was Linda Thorson in a Bond movie? Because then that would just complete the trifecta. No, I don't think she ever was. Damn. I know. But he, uh, not only did he fuck uh, an adventure, he fucked yeah. uh, the eventual uh, Olana Tyrell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I keep, telling uh, pe- I keep telling people that, and they don't believe me. Mm-hmm. They don't believe me that Diana Rigg was a Bond girl. Yeah. Well, um, I enjoyed her as Emmy- Emma Peel, as... Uh, 
what's her name? Teresa de Vincenzo and, uh-huh. and as Elena Tyrell. Uh-huh. So, yeah, uh, y- y'all, y'all have that to look forward to when we talk about the only Aussie to play Bond so far. So far, yes. Um, yeah, uh, I guess that's pretty much it for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of Questions Like This. Um, yeah, continuing our decades-long rep- retrospective of the Bond film franchise. And, um, yeah, I guess Bond 25 is still up in the air. I haven't really heard much else, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, we'll see. Hopefully they... They figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, uh, my name is Aristo. And I'm Alex. And tune in next time for for more Bond. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, everyone.